0: I invite you now to open your Bible to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And when you turn to Romans 8, I invite you as well to come with me, to return with me to a brief thought of where we explored in Romans 8 last week, following on a look at. Jeremiah's call to the potter's house. Now, the connection between those is simply this that God took his prophet to show him at a time in which many people who were trusting in God had faced desolation, discouragement, disorientation, disillusionment. Jeremiah himself is a living object lesson of how the heart can grow weary and energy can be drained even from those who are wanting to fulfill their mission in God's kingdom. And God gave Jeremiah this vivid picture of how in the process of life, there is a reshaping opportunity. There is a newness that was prophesied in that ancient scene at the potter's house, where as the potter's hands were on the wheel and as A vessel was being formed, but an obvious flaw developed in the process of the spinning of the wheel, and the potter, in a common everyday operation, reshaped that clay, he said, into another vessel. Now that very simple object lesson became the springboard for a prophetic forecast of the new covenant, and in that new covenant that God invites us to bring the the clay, the literal clay, of humanity into the hands of our shepherd and know that in the grace of God, his masterpiece plan through the good news of the gospel is the reshaping, another vessel. And that in some point of desperation or discouragement in life, you too can know that there is a reshaping taking place. So, in Romans chapter 8, we saw uh, last week in verse 15 and 16 this connection with the contrast between the old life and the new life, pictured in the 15th verse of Romans chapter 8 by a contrast between what a person experiences in the natural, where we are born with our built in inadequacies and our vulnerabilities to fear. And then in the new birth, that the gift of God through the Holy Spirit brings us to a place of childlike faith. All that's reflected in that 115th verse of Romans 8, and look at it in your Bible as you think about, again, the starting point of this, because I want to talk to you today about handles on the golden beam of hope. And this is because out of these vital truths, there is a resilient, powerful like a laser beam gift of hope that can brighten the darkest day, that can bring healing to the deepest, most deeply wounded heart, and yet many of us feel we can't get a handle on that hope. So we want to see in that 15th verse why an identity in Christ is so vital to this hope, and the 16th verse, the communication between the Holy Spirit and the interior part, of the human believer's heart, and then we want to look at these handles on the golden beam of hope. Now, the 15th verse of Romans 8 tells us very familiar words, and yet note the contrast again in our own lives. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. The Spirit of God described in this text as the one who shows us that there is a new place in the family of God where you can find a new identity. So the Holy Spirit, described here as the Spirit of adoption, the Spirit of sonship, brings into our hearts this very personal and yet childlike expression of trust in God And we talked about it last week about the expression of Abba, Father. Do you see that in Romans 8.15? This is one of the most vital aspects of discovering what it means not only to get free, but to stay free. And a simple takeaway is this, that I can come to prayer no matter how my circumstances may be, no matter what is around me. No matter how inadequate I may feel, I can come to my Heavenly Father in prayer on the simple fact that the Holy Spirit in me is teaching me how to pray. Now, if we're not perceptive about that, if you say, I can't discern that in my own life, take to heart today these bookends that we touched on last week. Verse 15, the bookend on one end of this great panorama of hope is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and empowers us to cry Abba Father. The other end of the book end if you'll trace your finger down the text in your own Bible to that 26th verse is you see there where after this panorama of hope that we'll look at today he comes back to the prayer dimension of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and simply says in the same way the Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. In other words, a very present help in time of trouble, the very present tense power of the Holy Spirit, always present and always active in our lives to give us a foretaste of glory. Now, when you put those bookends together, then I think it becomes very helpful to see if you look in your Bible at that 18th verse of Romans 8 that we are being given in verses 18 through 25 a golden beam of hope that like a laser can shine into some of the most difficult and destitute aspects of life. When I was a kid, Part of my childhood lived in a, little sub, in a suburb of Los Angeles, and one of the things my parents would do occasionally would take us out on night drives. And I can remember when we would get near Hollywood, the bright lights of those strobe lights would, would be so fascinating to me as a little kid. Years later, the heart of the nation was uplifted by the, after the horrific and indescribable devastation at Ground Zero when finally those giant beams of light began, were installed there where the Twin Towers had been, and in some kind of symbolic way it helped people to cope with the tragedy that all had experienced in America, and those bright beams of light seemed to be a signal of a new kind of inspiration. Well, those are purely human elements that we're talking about there, but something that is so absolutely life-changing in these verses is that in a similar way, we need God's light to shine brightly into the darkest and most disillusioned aspects of life. And it is for that reason that I find it fascinating to think about this passage, verse 18 and following, as a kind of laser beam from God, but a laser beam with a specific therapeutic power to it. In the late 80s, in New Advances in Medical Research at the Livermore Laboratories in Southern California, there was the discover, the development of a laser aimed at um, eliminating tumors in the human body. And after that laser was released, it was shown to be able to penetrate into the body precisely in a size a thousand times tinier than a human hair. The precision of laser technology became a, a, a powerful tool in the medical field and is used widely, of course, today in all kinds of applications. God Himself has a laser. And that laser is far more precise than any human laser, human divine designed laser. And that laser comes in a keyword in the text that I'd like you to read here, a keyword that we often hear as glory, the key word of glory. Look with me in Romans 8, 18. For I now consider that the sufferings of this present time, do you see that in your Bible? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the what? The glory that will be revealed in us. If you see that in your own Bible today, think about what the Apostle Paul is saying about some of the most difficult, troubling, discouraging, disillusioning experiences in life. Can I just ask a very blunt question? Is there anybody in the house today that's faced some disillusionment? Is there anyone in the house today that has faced some discouragement? And when we wrestle with it on the personal level, sometimes we have trouble grasping how valuable it can be to get this bright laser of God's word directly onto our circumstances. In fact, sadly, and I know this is contradictory, but it's a human fact, Sadly, many people shy away from the Bible right when we need the Bible the most. We shy away from truths that we feel like, I don't fully understand that, and so an instinct is to shy away from what we don't understand. One of the beautiful things about the 8th chapter of Romans, really this whole section, as I say from Romans 5 through 8, that the glory on our horizon is the, one of the great themes of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, even as is the truths of justification by faith through Christ and then the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit are, are described and expounded in the most intricate detail of any place in the New Testament. But in this eighth chapter, when we come to this crucial turning point, we've heard in verse 16 that, that the Holy Spirit communicates with our spirit. He gives us this understanding. I'm a child of God. I belong to the Lord. I belong to a gracious, loving, heavenly Father who has a plan for my life. And yet when we hit the skids with deep discouragement and difficulties, it's our brains go into an eject mode, and we eject things that we knew to be true. Well, in that 18th verse, the Apostle Paul pivots into an amazing comparison between the creation that we see around us, the physical, natural world, and the heart of a believer. And that comparison has to do with the fact that God the creator demonstrates even in the natural world that he has a glorious plan that surpasses anything the naked eye can see. So back in the fifth chapter, have a wonderful day, Joan. God bless you. We're so glad you'd be here. Back in the fifth chapter, we have that expression in Chapter 5, verse 3, that we glory even when we encounter adversity. Now, I know when you hear that, too, and you go back to that text and think about, is this difficult to do? Is it difficult to say, I can see some glory in my troubling times? <laughs> I mean, how many of you can just say that today easily? It's not easy for that to get off of your tongue, is it? I'm, I'm so excited about my troubling times. <laughs> we don't do that, do we? Well, that's why these verses come to us as a laser beam of God's powerful gift of hope. Because the Apostle Paul says back in that fifth chapter, we glory in troubling times or in adversities or in sufferings. Why? Because in the wise hands of our master peacemaker potter heavenly father we can be sure there is a shaping there is a forming of the faith that God has placed pricelessly in our hearts and because of Christ's conquest over hell, death, and the grave, his resurrection life, even those things that are troubling and adversities and difficulties in my soul, ultimately God has glory on the horizon. There is a long-term laser beam light-like vision Of where we're going in God in verses 18 to 25 of Romans 8 and then he comes right back into that prayer dimension that's why you can pray that's why you can count on the Holy Spirit's help in prayer why because there's this great panorama of a laser beam like hope of a certain glory a definite glory a defined glory an absolutely resilient and resplendent glory, God's completed project in your heart, in your life. And yes, the Creator will even do it in the earth. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10 tells us to keep that hope in view as well, that there will be, ultimately, a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I know when we talk about these far distant topics in, the, in preaching, it's easy to think, wow, I mean, what in the world does that have to do with my life today? That is exactly the purpose of this paragraph. So I want to ask you to look at Romans eight nineteen and just notice why this is so vital to us. Well, he says that this glory cannot be compared. Our troubles in this life cannot be compared, cannot even stand Uh, a comparison with the glory that is to come. This is why, again, in the fifth chapter, he says there is a hope that will never disappoint you. In verse 19 of Romans 8, he describes that hope as being the anxious longing of the creation as it waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What is this hope that will never disappoint Now back up and think of that word hope for a minute because it's easy in our brains to get hope, think of hope as a synonym for another word, a weak, watered down, almost useless word, wish. And many people think uh, when they see hope, their brain snaps over to wish. And they think hope is just, well, that's a nice wish, it's a dreamy thought. It's something that sounds good, but it's pie in the sky. It's it's not anything you can count on. Well, every time in the New Testament that the word hope is used in the Greek, it indicates something dramatically more profound, in fact, anchored in what Jesus showed the apostles when after being raised from the dead and entering into their presence, he showed them his hands and his side, even the very body that had just passed through the physical walls and appeared among them and then disappeared from their midst. The first verses of the book of Acts tell us that Jesus showed them these infallible proofs so that they would know that this realm that you can't see, this realm of glory, this realm of his eternal conquest, is more real, more powerful, more dependable than anything your physical eyes can see. And in the text of Romans 8, verse 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul is drawing from that very same reservoir of revealed truth when he says, and he could speak from experience, because he himself suffered greatly in the body in his apostolic travels. He could say, our sufferings are not to be denied. There's a drastic difference in the true Christian faith in true faithfulness to the scripture, there's a drastic difference in that and the lies and deceptions of things like Christian science and the hyper-faith message and the hyper-healing prosperity false gospels. What's the distinction? The distinction is that there's no mind over matter in the biblical Christian faith. There's no denying of reality in the truth of the Christian faith. In fact, the emphasis in the text here and in the fourth chapter is on squarely looking at the real problem. Eyes wide open faith is what I call it. Eyes wide open faith. Why? Well, because just as Jesus showed those apostles in the upper room, he as our risen Lord had conquered Hell, death, and the grave, and that spirit of bondage to fear that was entangling us—we've been delivered from that, so that the Holy Spirit's presence can dwell in us, and that means that we can look squarely at the most ugly realities that may confront us, and we don't deny them. A true Christian never denies a doctor's report or a legitimate medical test. They they look at it and they say these are the facts. But my heavenly Father has a glorious plan of which I am a part. And the master potter is shaping my life. And the Holy Spirit in Romans eight twenty six is helping me pray. So I, he helps me in my infirmities and I go to him with my physical and emotional and mental and personal struggles. And I lay them at his feet and I understand that while I see clearly what the problem is, my risen king lives and reigns supremely over my circumstances and I will glorify him because of that laser beam of hope, that, that great beam of hope that he has given me through his word. And so in the text in Romans 8 verse 23 and 24, this truth, this fact about these um, issues of trust in God when you can't see what's in front of you looking to the future, not wistfully, not wishfully, not wondering what's out there, like some mysterious floating star in the outer space. No, our faith in what God is going to do in the future is secured in the person of Christ. In fact, I find really three handles in this entire text for the hope, that heals the heart. How can I get a handle on this laser beam of hope? Three basic principles. There's an inheritance we have. The inheritance is described back in verse 17, where it says, if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Then the second handle that we get in this text in verses 18 through 25 is a destination, it's called glory. And it is, it is expounded upon not only in Romans 8, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, in 1 John chapter 5, and in many aspects of what we find in the book of the Revelation where God's completed plan for the bride of Christ is described at the end of that very uh, uh, awesome book. So God gives us forecast of glory. Do we get an absolutely clear picture that we can fully understand? No. But we get, in every respect of the glory, we get a forecast of the fulfillment of God's plan for his redeemed people proven by the victory of the Son of God who in his glorified body said to those disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit so that you may go out and give this news. The glory that is to come is our destination. And it means that your destination in God is already secure in the Son." And then, We get this rock-solid certainty in verses 26 to 29 about the fact that ultimately that goal is that we be conformed to the image of his son. You could put it this way as we think about these three handles, the first one being the heirs, that if you are an heir of a great estate, you're the absolute owner of that which you do not yet fully grasp or understand. And you will not fully grasp and understand that until, well, in the human sense, until the will is read and all the, all the estate is revealed. What God gives us in the New Testament are time and time again reminders that we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to uninheritance Incorruptible, undefiled, and that can never fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Those are the words that Peter put in the first chapter of his epistle, paralleling exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans 8, 18 to 25. There is a glory that is incomparable, and when you have the security in your heart that you're in the king's covenant, you know you're already. You're not waiting for that inheritance. You are already a living heir. You're not like someone waiting for some heavenly uh, lottery ticket number to be read. No, you are a redeemed child of God who's already received the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to pray. And because you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you can literally say, I don't understand all of my inheritance. I'm not sure I can even grasp even 10% of all that God has in store but I know this it's all wrapped up in one summary phrase that Paul gives us in Ephesians 1:3 when he says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ would you declare with me aloud what is what you are a living heir of today would you declare it aloud with me say it with me every spiritual blessing In the heavenly places in Christ. Now you might say, I don't know, Pastor Joe, that I know what that means. Well, welcome to the club. (laughs) But enjoy being a living heir of an awesome, awesome, awesome estate that you have just now barely scratched the surface. But that's all the more reason why this laser beam of hope in Romans 8 comes into our lives, because it does clarify, though we may not understand the full treasure, it does clarify our privileges. It, it accents for us the fact that part of these spiritual blessings is the simple knowledge now of a particular way adoption is used in this text. Now, here in Romans 8, you noticed in verse 15 that we're adopted. Now, the the word adoption occurs, if you'll zip your finger right down to verse 23, you'll see that the word adoption occurs there, same paragraph, but a, a different aspect of this glorious truth. In the 15th verse, it's about being adopted into the family, and in the Roman system, that meant that when those who had been adopted into a large and prominent Roman estate, when they came of age... There was a public presentation of the adopted sons and daughters in the great forum in Rome, this great historic uh, um, arena, which is an archaeological treasure to this very day. And in the forum, they would present the adopted sons and daughters as full heirs of the paterfamilia's estate. This was a part of Roman culture, and Paul draws from that to illustrate that when you are in Christ... It's not only that you're born again, that's glorious in itself, but it's also the fact that God takes delight in presenting you as a part of his redeemed people. It's like we saw in Ephesians 2-7 last week when we saw that text that says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In some way that is greater than I could ever put into words, God takes delight in you. Yes, you. You are the object of the Father's redeeming love in Christ. And it's not just like, well, I'm in the family, you know, he's another one. I used to joke about my name, people get all interested in baby names and At one point when I was growing up, I decided to figure out what does Joe or Joseph mean. And, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word Joseph just means another one. Just another one, you know. There's another kid. It's Joe. It's a Joe. So, you know, so well, big deal, okay? Well, we all, (laughs) But, but the fact is that it isn't in the literal name that we're given that matters. It's God's name. It's the name that he places upon you. And in Romans 8, 15, he's saying God takes delight in presenting the adopted heirs. Now again, I mentioned the other part of this is in verse 23. Would you go back to that 23 verse, 23rd verse and you see that in this whole panorama of glory that we're talking about that adoption is first of all our security in Christ but the 23rd verse relates it to the ultimate day of, the, of when Christ returns when we will receive the redemption that is, the adoption that is the redemption of our body. Now, this is pretty fascinating if you stop and think about this. That verse 23 is talking about the fact that even your body, your physical person, is the object of God's love. Could you let that sink in just for a moment? Think about what it means that the very Redeemer who sets you free from sin, in verse 23, says not only this, but we ourselves, being the firstfruits of the Spirit, my clicker is messing me up because I keep touching it the wrong way. <laughs> um, so if you think about this, that verse 23 says that even we ourselves groan within ourselves, and note the last half of verse 23, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What are those last four words? The redemption, those last five words, the redemption of our body. Now think about what this means. Adoption is first of all, our security in Christ Jesus, but ultimately in verse 23, it's the glory of Jesus on full display. In other words, this is astounding, friends. It's why I call it a golden beam of hope. Because just as God has an ultimate plan even for the earth itself so far distant to us it seems like it's hard to even imagine it but it's real a new heavens and a new earth ultimately he promises does he not but then he uses that to compare to the individual child of God and he says you groan inside of yourselves, verse 23, because you're, you don't see... Be, why do we groan, friends? One reason we groan is because of the contradictions that we all encounter in life between what we know is God's best and what we see around us. And sometimes we don't even know how to put these things into words, and so inside of us, sometimes we just, either literally or figuratively, we groan. Do you ever, an easy example of this, do you ever just look at the news or any, however you get your news on a flat screen or on a mobile device or however you get your news, but do you ever, when you get your news, do you ever look at it sometimes and just go, oh, oh my, this weekend when I saw that two nurses murdered in a Methodist hospital in Dallas, just gunned down, lost lives, heartbreak. Beyond words, heartbreak. And you look at the news, and you just go, "What? Well, try, try it with me." Go, ah. <laughs> let's try a sigh together. <laughs> you, you do, don't you? You look at these things, and you just sigh, you groan. That's exactly what Romans eight twenty three is telling us. We also, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly. And what do those groans or those sighs or those angst feelings, what do they indicate? They indicate that we're not at our destination yet. But that the King of kings and Lord of lords who has redeemed us out of the slave market of sin and delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Of it, when this Savior made His glory known to apostles cowering in fear and probably groaning too in that upper room. They saw his hands and his side. And he said, handle me for a spirit. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is the living, victorious, glorified Savior. And every time Paul the Apostle Even gets close to describing the coming glory. He's pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So these handles, these handles I summarize just very quickly in the text here I think because I think it helps to kind of get a recap of this. First in verse 17 of Romans 8, we have an inheritance in Christ. In verse 18 we have a glorious future mapped out for all of creation. But in verse 19 we see That the goal of that glorious future is not just the beauty of oceans and mountains and streams and natural beauty as spectacular as it is. It all inspires us, of course. Romans speaks of that in chapter 1. But the ultimate is because God created a habitation for his crowning creation that he says in Psalm 8 is the ultimate glory of all creation. And what is that? The creating of the human being. Romans 8.23 tells us that this adoption of our body, this final redemption of the body, is the crowning jewel of the accomplished, saving work of God. That in a world of hurt around us, you can always know. You may doubt many things, my friend, but never doubt that the Savior who redeemed you by His precious blood, the blood we sang about this morning, that His victorious conquest over hell, death, and the grave means that there is glory in your future. There's glory on your horizon. And the Master Potter is shaping your life now through, yes, the adversities, the trials, the hard lessons, the things you'd rather not have to cope with. And the Holy Spirit is using it. And even when you go to prayer and you just groan, You say, I don't know where to start, Father. But he says back in 15, just start by saying, Abba, Father. Just start by saying, Daddy, I love you. Let's do that Abba one more time today. Abba, Father. Say it with me. Abba, Father. So this enriching power of hope in verse 21 is described as something, if you you could fully see your inheritance, you wouldn't have to hope for it anymore. Paul is describing why we need hope. Why... Why did he say in 1 Corinthians 13, These now abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Because yes, that trio of virtues, that triad of transforming truths, faith in Christ, the love that is greater than anything imaginable, and the hope that, like a laser beam, shines upon the hardest points of life, So in verses 23 and 24, when we say, why does this take so long? Have you ever wondered that? Why is this taking so long? We can remember, verse 26 and 7, that prayer opens us fully to the empowering empathy of the Holy Spirit. Now, we said all that because that 18th verse, as we close, tells us something that is an invitation to each of us. And it's a funny kind of invitation, and that is... That 18th verse starts go back and look at it just briefly. The first word of that 18th verse, the first two words, is, "I consider," or "I, I count it such." And, and the word literally means a, a logical consideration. After I logically consider all of the options, this is the conclusion that I come to. And what is it? That the glory of our king is unsurpassed, and that nothing in your life, no matter how difficult it's felt, can even begin to compare with the glory, the splendor of what God has already guaranteed for you and me. Now, what difference does that make in shoe leather Monday through Friday reality? What difference does that make at the secretary's desk? What difference does that make behind the wheel of the school bus? What difference does that make at the teacher's post? What difference does that make behind your calculator at home trying to figure out how to pay the bills (laughs) in this all inflation era? What difference it makes is that you are now a living heir of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you can bring every struggle to God in prayer knowing that yes, even in those sighs, even in those groans, even in that uncertainty you may have in your brain, there is an absolute certainty in the glory of God. And there is a hope, like an anchor for your soul, that will never disappoint you because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. As I invite you to pray, I'm going to ask you to think just that powerful comparison, he says. He says, think about it. He says, consider it. Don't just let this speed by. In other words, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that he has stored up for us. And in that consideration, God promises to meet you. When you could say, Lord, I, I, I don't feel good about what's happening right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if maybe just a quick response, maybe some of you could say, could you, do you ever pray something like this or think something like, I just don't know how to put into words what I feel. Would you lift your hand? I don't know how to put into words the struggle I feel sometimes, okay? Now, that's why these texts are so precious to you, to your soul, because he's telling you in these verses, you don't have to successfully put it into words, absolutely priceless. And it, it helps all of us to see exactly where this is aiming, and uh, what, what, a, what an incredible pleasure to get a glimpse of what God is doing around the world through, literally through multiplying disciples as well as touching the lives of, of boys and girls. And we're especially excited today that the boys and girls at Liberty Church get to have hands-on experience with this today today. Thank you, Hannah, so much for your leadership in developing and coordinating this opportunity. And uh, we're going to go ahead uh, and transition now because I know in a few minutes that Jones has to slip out for an event at her church as well. And so we're now going to have combined class, Mission Sunday, Pathfinders and Explorers, and they can make their way on down uh, to class now. What an exciting day to be able to actually get hands-on with these Operation Christmas Child boxes. So we, we celebrate that. And, of course, along with what, uh, what Joan has shared, if you have another question at any point about how to help or if there's a question in the material, uh, please feel free to call Hannah, uh, check in with her, uh, connect with me if, uh, if you have anything that uh, we can do to help you. Also, the address was mentioned, and that question arose a couple of weeks ago by someone. So if somebody wants to include something personalized, feel free to use the church address as your return address. So that is um, Liberty Church P.O. Box 295, Westminster, Maryland 21158. So please feel free to do that if you choose to uh, to add some personal item uh, note to the box. And um, on the $10 per box contribution request, we will also cover that for anyone that might request. If you'd like to do that, you want to help, and uh, you say, please let us know. We'll be glad to cover any of those so again thank you Joan for sharing today part of your Sunday and to to bless us with this great opportunity let's give a hand of appreciation for Joan for what they're doing and um, I invite you now to open your Bible to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans and when you turn to Romans 8 I invite you as well to come with me to return with me to a brief thought of where we explored in Romans 8 last week following on a look at Jeremiah's call to the potter's house. Now the connection between those is simply this, that God took his prophet to show him at a time in which many people who were trusting in God had faced desolation, discouragement, disorientation, disillusionment. Jeremiah himself is a living object lesson of how the heart can grow weary and energy can be drained even from those who are wanting to fulfill their mission in God's kingdom. And God gave Jeremiah this vivid picture of how in the process of life, there is a reshaping opportunity. There is a newness that was prophesied in that ancient scene at the potter's house where as the potter's hands were on the wheel and as a vessel was being formed, but an obvious flaw developed in the process of the spinning of the wheel and the potter, in a common everyday operation, reshaped that clay, he said, into another vessel. Now that very simple object lesson Became the springboard for a prophetic forecast of the new covenant. And in that new covenant, that God invites us to bring the the clay, the literal clay of humanity into the hands of our shepherd, and know that in the grace of God, his masterpiece plan through the good news of the gospel is the reshaping, another vessel. And that in some point of desperation or discouragement in life, you too can know that there is a reshaping taking place. So in Romans chapter 8, we saw uh, last week in verse 15 and 16 this connection with the contrast between the old life and the new life, pictured in the 15th verse of Romans chapter 8, by a contrast between what, A person experiences in the natural, where we are born with our built-in inadequacies and our vulnerabilities to fear, and then in the new birth, that the gift of God through the Holy Spirit brings us to a place of childlike faith. All that's reflected in that 115th verse of Romans 8, and look at it in your Bible as you think about, again, the starting point of this, because I want to talk to you today about handles on the golden beam of hope. And this is because out of these vital truths, there is a resilient, powerful, like a laser beam gift of hope that can brighten the darkest day, that can bring healing to the deepest, most deeply wounded heart, and yet many of us feel we can't get a handle on that hope. So we want to see in that 15th verse... Why an identity in Christ is so vital to this hope. And the 16th verse, the communication between the Holy Spirit and the interior part of the human believer's heart. And then we want to look at these handles on the golden beam of hope. Now the 15th verse of Romans 8 tells us, very familiar words, and yet note the contrast again in our own lives. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. The spirit of God described in this text as the one who shows us that there is a new place in the family of God where you can find a new identity. So the Holy Spirit described here as the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, brings into our hearts this very personal and yet childlike expression of trust in God. And we talked about it last week, about the expression of Abba, Father. Do you see that in Romans 8.15? This is one of the most vital aspects of discovering what it means not only to get free, but to stay free. And a simple takeaway is this, that I can come to prayer no matter how my circumstances may be, no matter what is around me, no matter how inadequate I may feel, I can come to my Heavenly Father in prayer on the simple fact that the Holy Spirit in me is teaching me how to pray. Now, if we're not perceptive about that, if you say, I can't discern that in my own life, take to heart today these bookends that we touched on last week. Verse 15, the bookend on one end of this great panorama of hope is that the Holy Spirit dwells in us and empowers us to cry, Abba, Father. The other end of the bookend, if you'll trace your finger down the text in your own Bible to that 26th verse, is you see there where after this panorama of hope that we'll look at today, he comes back to the prayer dimension of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and simply says, in the same way the Spirit helps us when we don't know what to pray for as we ought. In other words, a very present help in time of trouble, the very present tense power of the Holy Spirit, always present and always active in our lives, to give us a foretaste of glory. Now, when you put those bookends together, then I think it becomes very helpful to see, if you look in your Bible at that 18th verse of Romans 8, that we are being given in verses 18 through 25 a golden beam of hope that like a laser can shine into some of the most difficult and destitute aspects of life. When I was a kid, part of my childhood lived in a, little sub, in a suburb of Los Angeles, and one of the things my parents would do occasionally would take us out on night drives. And I can remember when we would get near Hollywood, the bright lights of those strobe lights would, would be so fascinating to me as a little kid. Years later, the heart of the nation was uplifted by the, after the horrific and indescribable devastation at Ground Zero, when finally those giant beams of light began were installed there where the Twin Towers had been. And in some kind of symbolic way, it helped people to cope with the tragedy that all had experienced in America. And those bright beams of light seemed to be a signal of a new kind of inspiration. Well, those are purely human elements that we're talking about there. But something that is so absolutely life-changing in these verses is that in a similar way, we need God's light to shine brightly into the darkest and most disillusioned aspects of life. And it is for that reason that I find it fascinating to think about this passage. Verse 18 and following as a kind of laser beam from God, but a laser beam with a specific therapeutic power to it. In the late 80s, in new advances in medical research at the Livermore Laboratories in Southern California, there was the discover- the development of a laser aimed at um, eliminating tumors in the human body. And after that laser was released, it was shown to be able to penetrate into the body precisely in a size a thousand times tinier than a human hair. The precision of laser technology became a a, a powerful tool in the medical field and is used widely, of course, today in all kinds of applications. God himself has a laser, and that laser is far more precise than any human laser human divine designed laser and that laser comes in a keyword in the text that I'd like you to read here a keyword that we often hear as glory the keyword of glory look with me in Romans 8 18 for I now consider that the sufferings of this present time Do you see that in your Bible for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared to the what? The glory that will be revealed in us. If you see that in your own Bible today, think about what the Apostle Paul is saying about some of the most difficult, troubling, discouraging, disillusioning experiences in life. Can I just ask a very blunt question? Is there anybody in the house today that's faced some disillusionment? Is there anyone in the house today that has faced some discouragement? And when we wrestle with it on the personal level, sometimes we have trouble grasping how valuable it can be to get this bright laser of God's Word directly onto our circumstances. In fact, sadly, and I know this is contradictory, but it's a human fact, sadly, many people shy away from the Bible right when we need the Bible the most. We shy away from truths that we feel like, I don't fully understand that, and so an instinct is to shy away from what we don't understand. One of the beautiful things about the 8th chapter of Romans, really this whole section, as I say from Romans 5-8, through that the glory on our horizon is one of the great themes of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, even as as the truths of justification by faith through Christ and then the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit are are described and expounded in the most intricate detail of any place in the New Testament. But in this eighth chapter, when we come to this crucial turning point, we've heard in verse 16 that, that the Holy Spirit communicates with our spirit. He gives us this understanding, I'm a child of God, I belong to the Lord, I belong to a gracious, loving Heavenly Father who has a plan for my life. And yet when we hit the skids with deep discouragement and difficulties, it's our brains go into an eject mode, and we eject things that we knew to be true. Well, in that 18th verse, the Apostle Paul pivots into an amazing comparison between the creation that we see around us, the physical, natural world, and the heart of a believer. And that comparison has to do with the fact that God the Creator demonstrates even in the natural world that he has a glorious plan that surpasses anything the naked eye can see. So back in the fifth chapter, Have a wonderful day, Joan. God bless you. We're so glad you'd be here. Back in the fifth chapter, we have that expression in chapter 5, verse 3, that we glory even when we encounter adversity. Now, I know when you hear that, too, and you go back to that text and think about, is this difficult to do? Is it difficult to say, I can see some glory in my troubling times? I mean, how many of you can just say that today easily? It's not easy for that to get off of your tongue, is it? I'm, I'm so excited about my troubling times. We don't do that, do we? Well, that's why these verses come to us as a laser beam of God's powerful gift of hope. Because the Apostle Paul says, back in that fifth chapter, "We glory in troubling times, or in adversities or in sufferings." Why? Because in the wise hands of our master, peacemaker, potter, Heavenly Father, we can be sure there is a shaping, there is a forming of the faith that God has placed pricelessly in our hearts, and because of Christ's conquest over hell, death, and the grave, His resurrection life, even those things that are troubling and adversities and difficulties in my soul, Ultimately, God has glory on the horizon. There is a long-term laser beam light-like vision of where we're going in God in verses 18 to 25 of Romans 8, and then he comes right back into that prayer dimension. That's why you can pray. That's why you can count on the Holy Spirit's help in prayer. Why? Because there's this great panorama of a laser beam like hope of a certain glory a definite glory a defined glory an absolutely resilient and resplendent glory god's completed project in your heart in your life and yes the creator will even do it in the earth second peter chapter 3 verse 10 tells us to keep that hope in view as well that there will be ultimately a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I know when we talk about these far distant topics in, the, in preaching, it's easy to think, wow, I mean, what in the world does that have to do with my life today? That is exactly the purpose of this paragraph. So I want to ask you to look at Romans eight nineteen and just notice why this is so vital to us. Well, he says that this... Glory cannot be compared. Our troubles in this life cannot be compared, cannot even stand uh, a comparison with the glory that is to come. This is why, again, in the fifth chapter, he says, there is a hope that will never disappoint you. In verse 19 of Romans 8, he describes that hope as being the anxious longing of the creation as it waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What is this hope that will never disappoint? Now back up and think of that word hope for a minute because it's easy in our brains to get hope, think of hope as a synonym for another word, a weak, watered-down, almost useless word, wish. And many people think when they see hope, Their brain snaps over to wish. And they think hope is just, well, that's a nice wish. It's a dreamy thought. It's something that sounds good, but it's pie in the sky. It's it's not anything you can count on. Well, every time in the New Testament that the word hope is used in the Greek, it indicates something dramatically more profound, in fact, anchored in what Jesus showed the apostles when after being raised from the dead and entering into their presence, he showed them his hands and his side, even the very body that had just passed through the physical walls and appeared among them and then disappeared from their midst. The first verses of the book of Acts tell us that Jesus showed them these infallible proofs so that they would know That this realm that you can't see, this realm of glory, this realm of his eternal conquest is more real, more powerful, more dependable than anything your physical eyes can see. And in the text of Romans 8, verse 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul is drawing from that very same reservoir of revealed truth when he says, and he could speak from experience because he himself suffered greatly the body in his apostolic travels. He could say, our sufferings are not to be denied. There's a drastic difference in the true Christian faith, in true faithfulness to the Scripture. There's a drastic difference in that and the lies and deceptions of things like Christian science and the hyper-faith message and the hyper-healing prosperity false gospels. What's the distinction? The distinction is that there's no mind over matter. In the biblical Christian faith, there's no denying of reality in the truth of the Christian faith. In fact, the emphasis in the text here and in the fourth chapter is on squarely looking at the real problem. Eyes wide open faith is what I call it. Eyes wide open faith. Why? Well, Because just as Jesus showed those apostles in the upper room, he, as our risen Lord, had conquered hell, death, and the grave, and that spirit of bondage to fear that was entangling us, we've been delivered from that so that the Holy Spirit's presence can dwell in us. And that means that we can look squarely at the most ugly realities that may confront us, and we don't deny them. A true Christian never denies a doctor's report or a legitimate medical test. They, they look at it and they say, that, these are the facts. But my Heavenly Father has a glorious plan of which I am a part. And the Master Potter is shaping my life. And the Holy Spirit in Romans 8.26 is helping me pray. So I, He helps me in my infirmities and I go to Him with my physical and emotional and mental and personal struggles, and I lay them at His feet and I understand that while I see clearly what the problem is, my risen King lives and reigns supremely over my circumstances. And I will glorify Him because of that laser beam of hope, that, that great beam of hope that He has given me through His Word. And so, in the text in Romans 8, verse twenty. 3 and 24 this truth this fact about these um issues of trust in god when you can't see what's in front of you looking to the future not wistfully not wishfully not wondering what's out there like some mysterious floating star in the outer space no Our faith in what God is going to do in the future is secured in the person of Christ. In fact, I find really three handles in this entire text for the hope that heals the heart. How can I get a handle on this laser beam of hope? Three basic principles. There is an inheritance we have. The inheritance is described back in verse 17. Where it says, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Then the second handle that we get in this text, in verses 18 through 25, is a destination. It's called glory. And it is it is expounded upon not only in Romans 8, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in Hebrews chapter 2, in 1 John chapter 5, and in many aspects of what we find in the book of the revelation where God's completed plan for the bride of Christ is described at the end of that very uh, uh, awesome book so God gives us forecast of glory do we get an absolutely clear picture that we can fully ex- understand no but we get in every respect of the glory we get a forecast of the fulfillment of God's plan for his redeemed people proven by the victory of the Son of God, who in his glorified body said to those disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit so that you may go out and give this news. The glory that is to come is our destination. And it means that your destination in God is already secure in the Son. And then we get this rock-solid certainty in verses 26 to 29 about the fact that ultimately that goal is that we be conformed to the image of his son. You could put it this way as we think about these three handles, the first one being the heirs, that if you are an heir of a great estate, you're the absolute owner of that which you do not yet fully grasp or understand. And you will not fully grasp and understand that until, well, in the human sense, until the will is read and all the the estate is revealed. What God gives us in the New Testament are time and time again reminders that we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance Incorruptible, undefiled, and that can never fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Those are the words that Peter put in the first chapter of his epistle, paralleling exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans 8, 18 to 25. There is a glory that is incomparable, and when you have the security in your heart that you're in the king's covenant, you know you're already. You're not waiting for that inheritance. You are already a living heir. You're not like someone waiting for some heavenly uh, lottery ticket number to be read. No, you are a redeemed child of God who's already received the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to pray. And because you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you can literally say, I don't understand all of my inheritance. I'm not sure I can even grasp even ten percent of all that God has in store, but I know this—it's all wrapped up in one summary phrase that Paul gives us in Ephesians one three, when he says, "Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ." Would you declare with me aloud what is what you are a living heir of today? Would you declare it aloud with me? Say it with me. Every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places in Christ. Now you might say, I don't know, Pastor Joe, that I know what that means. Well, welcome to the club. (laughs) But enjoy being a living heir of an awesome, awesome, awesome estate that you have just now barely scratched the surface. But that's all the more reason why this laser beam of hope in Romans 8 comes into our lives because it does clarify, though we may not understand the full treasure, it does clarify our privileges. It, it accents for us the fact that part of these spiritual blessings is the simple knowledge now of a particular way adoption is used in this text. Now, here in Romans 8, you noticed in verse 15 that we're adopted. Now, the, ver- the word adoption occurs, if you'll zip your finger right down to verse 23, you'll see that the word adoption occurs there, same paragraph, but a, a different aspect of this glorious truth. In the 15th verse, it's about being adopted into the family, and in the Roman system, that meant that when those who had been adopted into a large and prominent Roman estate, when they came of age... There was a public presentation of the adopted sons and daughters in the great forum in Rome, this great historic uh, um, arena, which is an archaeological treasure to this very day. And in the forum, they would present the adopted sons and daughters as full heirs of the paterfamilia's estate. This was a part of Roman culture and Paul draws from that to illustrate that when you are in Christ it's not only that you're born again that's glorious in itself but it's also the fact that God takes delight in presenting you as a part of his redeemed people. It's like we saw in Ephesians 2:7 last week when we saw that text that says that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In some way that is greater than I could ever put into words, God takes delight in you. Yes, you. You are the object of the Father's redeeming love in Christ. And it's not just like, well, I'm in the family, you know, he's another one. I used to joke about my name, people get all interested in baby names and At one point when I was growing up, I decided to figure out what does Joe or Joseph mean. And, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word Joseph just means another one. Just another one, you know. There's another kid. It's Joe. It's a Joe. So, you know, so well, big deal, okay? Well, we all, (laughs) But, but the fact is that it isn't in the literal name that we're given that matters. It's God's name. It's the name that he places upon you. And in Romans 8, 15, he's saying God takes delight in presenting the adopted heirs. Now again, I mentioned the other part of this is in verse 23. Would you go back to that twenty-three verse, 23rd verse and you see that in this whole panorama of glory that we're talking about, that adoption is first of all our security in Christ, but the 23rd verse relates it to the ultimate day of, the, of when Christ returns when we will receive the redemption, that is, the adoption that is, The redemption of our body. Now, this is pretty fascinating if you stop and think about this. That verse 23 is talking about the fact that even your body, your physical person, is the object of God's love. Could you let that sink in just for a moment? Think about what it means that the very Redeemer who sets you free from sin in verse 23 says not only this, but we ourselves, being the firstfruits of the Spirit, my clicker is messing me up because I keep touching it the wrong way. <laughs> um, so if you think about this, that verse 23 says that even we ourselves groan within ourselves, and note the last half of verse 23, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. What are those last four words? The redemption, those last five words, the redemption of our body. Now think about what this means. Adoption is first of all, our security in Christ Jesus, but ultimately in verse 23, it's the glory of Jesus on full display. In other words, this is astounding, friends. It's why I call it a golden beam of hope. Because just as God has an ultimate plan even for the earth itself. So far distant to us, it seems like it's hard to even imagine it. But it's real. A new heavens and a new earth, ultimately, he promises. Does he not? But then he uses that to compare to the individual child of God, and he says, you groan inside of yourselves, verse 23, because you're, you don't see... Be, why do we groan, friends? One reason we groan is because of the contradictions that we all encounter in life between what we know is God's best and what we see around us. And sometimes we don't even know how to put these things into words, and so inside of us, sometimes we just, either literally or figuratively, we groan. Do you ever, an easy example of this, do you ever just look at the news or any, however you get your news on a flat screen or on a mobile device or however you get your news? But do you ever, when you get your news, do you ever look at it sometimes and just go, oh, oh my, this weekend when I saw that two nurses murdered in a Methodist hospital in Dallas, just gunned down, lost lives, heartbreak. Beyond words, heartbreak. And you look at the news, and you just go, "What? Well, try, try it with me." Go, ah. <laughs> let's try a sigh together. <laughs> you, you do, don't you? You look at these things, and you just sigh, you groan. That's exactly what Romans eight twenty three is telling us. We also, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, we groan inwardly. And what do those groans or those sighs or those angst feelings, what do they indicate? They indicate that we're not at our destination yet. But that the King of kings and Lord of lords who has redeemed us out of the slave market of sin and delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Of it, when this Savior made His glory known to apostles cowering in fear and probably groaning too in that upper room they saw his hands and his side and he said handle me for a spirit a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have this is the living victorious glorified savior and every time Paul the apostle even gets close to describing the coming glory. He's pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So these handles, these handles I summarize just very quickly in the text here, I think, because I think it helps to kind of get a recap of this. First, in verse 17 of Romans 8, we have an inheritance in Christ. In verse 18, we have a glorious future mapped out for all of creation. But in verse 19, we see... That the goal of that glorious future is not just the beauty of oceans and mountains and streams and natural beauty as spectacular as it is. It all inspires us, of course. Romans speaks of that in chapter 1. But the ultimate is because God created a habitation for his crowning creation that he says in Psalm 8 is the ultimate glory of all creation. And what is that? The creating of the human being. Romans 8.23 tells us that this adoption of our body, this final redemption of the body is the crowning jewel of the accomplished saving work of God that in a world of hurt around us, you can always know, you may doubt many things my friend, but never doubt that the Savior who redeemed you by his precious blood, the blood we sang about this morning, that his victorious conquest over hell, death, and the grave means that there is glory in your future. There's glory on your horizon. And the master potter is shaping your life now through, yes, the adversities, the trials, the hard lessons, the things you'd rather not have to cope with. And the Holy Spirit is using it. And even when you go to prayer and you just groan, You say, I don't know where to start, Father. But he says back in 15, just start by saying, Abba, Father. Just start by saying, Daddy, I love you. Let's do that Abba one more time today. Abba, Father. Say it with me. Abba, Father. So this enriching power of hope in verse 21 is described as something, if you you could fully see your inheritance, you wouldn't have to hope for it anymore. Paul is describing why we need hope. Why... Why did he say in 1 Corinthians 13, These now abide, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Because yes, that trio of virtues, that triad of transforming truths, faith in Christ, the love that is greater than anything imaginable, and the hope that, like a laser beam, shines upon the hardest points of life, So in verses 23 and 24, when we say, why does this take so long? Have you ever wondered that? Why is this taking so long? We can remember, verse 26 and 7, that prayer opens us fully to the empowering empathy of the Holy Spirit. Now, we said all that because that 18th verse, as we closed, tells us something that is an invitation to each of us. And it's a funny kind of invitation. And that is, that 18th verse starts, go back and look at it just briefly. The first word of that 18th verse, the first two words is, I consider, or I, I count it such. And, and the word literally means a, a logical consideration. After I logically consider all of the options, this is the conclusion That I come to. And what is it? That the glory of our King is unsurpassed. And that nothing in your life, no matter how difficult it's felt, can even begin to compare with the glory, the splendor of what God has already guaranteed for you and me. Now, what difference does that make in shoe leather Monday through Friday reality? What difference does that make at the secretary's desk? What difference does that make behind the wheel of the school bus? What difference does that make at the teacher's post? What difference does that make behind your calculator at home trying to figure out how to pay the bills (laughs) in this all inflation era? What difference it makes is that you are now a living heir of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you can bring every struggle to God in prayer knowing that, yes, even in those sighs, even in those groans, even in that uncertainty you may have in your brain, there is an absolute certainty in the glory of God. And there is a hope, like an anchor for your soul, that will never disappoint you because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. By the Holy Spirit, whom He's given us. As I invite you to pray, I'm going to ask you to think just that powerful comparison, He says. He says, Think about it. He says, Consider it. Don't just let this speed by. In other words, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that He has stored up for us. And in that consideration, God promises to meet you. When you could say, Lord, I, I, I don't feel good about what's happening right now. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if maybe just a quick response, maybe some of you could say, could you, do you ever pray something like this or think something like, I just don't know how to put into words what I feel. Would you lift your hand? I don't know how to put into words the struggle I feel sometimes, okay? Now, that's why these texts are so precious to you, to your soul because He's telling you in these verses, you don't have to successfully put it into words. All you have to do is come to Abba Father and say, Oh Lord, I need you to groan, to sigh, to bring your heart to Him. And then the words will come. The words will come. Because the Holy Spirit is there filling your heart with an awareness of a glory that is so resplendent. If we stood with the natural unaided body In the presence of God's exquisite glory, for a split second, we would disintegrate. (laughs) That's why he meets us in Christ, our Redeemer. For when you're in Christ, you're in the secure covenant vault of this eternal glory. And we thank you for it, Lord. Bring forth hope, I pray, from these prayers and from these verses that will spur us in to active, bold prayer expectantly and gratefully in this season, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.